The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by So last week in the intro of episode 84, I told you that there were going to be two more episodes with Ronnie Harima. After the recording of the first three uh, interview segments, um, I actually went down to his house for a weekend uh, during the Father's Day weekend. We played some golf and had a good time with uh, each other's families. And then we sat down in front of the microphones again, and he wanted to kind of I don't know, address some of the unanswered questions or further the conversation a bit. He realizes that a lot of the stuff that he has to share can be difficult for people to hear. And he loves and welcomes the idea of deeper conversation and a more thorough presentation of his ideas. So these next two episodes are a little bit more of Ronnie Herma and his thoughts on being human. Welcome to the New Age Christian Podcast. We're back with Ronnie Harima. By the time you hear this episode, not really sure how many weeks ago you will have first met Ronnie. I pre-record episodes weeks in advance, so this may be, I don't know, six weeks from now by the time people hear it. But after what turned out to be three episodes, <laughs> Ronnie and I thought, you know, there's probably still quite a bit of, of follow-up slash cleanup slash... Um, you know, clean up <laughs> yeah, <right>. damage control. <laughs> right. Well, it's, and so as we're sitting here talking about like, what are we going to talk about? We kind of decided, you know what, let's, let's settle on the idea of an encouraging episode. Right. And, you know, as people who would click on a, a podcast title called new age Christianity, yep. like by default, you're talking about a people that are pretty adventurous. Yeah. They're asking questions yeah. and like that. But I think, I'll speak for myself and just about anybody I've ever met who's come to me and been mm-hmm. honest that there are massive chunks of time in that journey where mm-hmm. you feel a bit crazy, yeah. you feel a bit alone, yeah. you feel a bit like in a danger zone with God and and the idea of like, I think the epi- an episode to say, hey, you're not crazy, mm-hmm. hey, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Hey, God isn't just waiting for you to, to screw up and he's going to strike you down. Right. So, you know. Those are our three bullet points for the, right. <laughs> you know, and I know Ronnie has got uh, plenty of perspectives that have been left out of the first three episodes. We did a lot of deconstruction. Yeah. And so a little bit of maybe where you are now or how would, what would you do to encourage that person who, do you remember six, seven years ago when you first started mm-hmm. questioning things mm-hmm. and just how hard that was? Yeah. And so what do you have to say to those people? Some of those people, I'd say this community is filled with, with people who are a little bit further down that journey. Yeah. But still, a lot of us still kind of hit those moments where you're like, what did I do five years ago? What am I doing into my life? Is this, did I totally screw up and miss the wrong turn? Yeah. And so take it away. Yeah. They hit, you hit different walls. I remember (laughs) maybe you'll cut this out. So... (laughs) There was a, I feel like it depends on who I've been in the car with or in the room with having different conversations, 
and depending on my friendship level or how much I felt like they were somewhat of an open-minded or seeker, I would ask certain questions. And this one time, I remember I had a friend and I was like, hey, I was like, so do you think in the afterlife, like, do you think you are going to have sex with God? And <laughs> that's why I said, you might cut this out. I don't know. But they like l- turned and looked at me in the car. And it, it was funny because they were going, we were, we were going on all sorts of like anything's possible, trillions of galaxies, all these other civilizations, other dimensions and all these things. But suddenly when you ask a very real question, like, I don't know, do you think you'll cuddle God? Like you'll, right. and all of a sudden like you watch their eyebrow kind of shrink up and their face contort and you watch where you go, oh, there's still some things that are coming up right. where I go, well, let's pull back. Um, I found the line. Yeah, I found the line. There's still a line. Yeah. So then we go, what is this telling us about the way we think? Like, do you think you'll have dinner with God? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, do you think maybe God will bake some bread and then be like, hey, I made this great loaf. Do you think God will cook a loaf of bread for you? Or do you think you might cook a loaf of bread for him or her? And they're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Maybe I'll eat with God. Okay, so you'll enjoy the process of consuming food. You'll you'll still maybe have taste buds, whether they're spiritual or however you look at it. <laughs> uh, does it make sense? Do you think you'll sing? Yeah, I think I will. will. Will you have ears or will your singing mean nothing to everyone? No, it sounds like you'll have ears then. And so you'll enjoy sound. Music is beautiful. So, okay, you'll enjoy sound. You'll enjoy taste. You'll, do you think you'll high-five? Do you think you'll scratch people's backs? All of a sudden, you find out all there's all sorts of things we've all agreed maybe we'll do in eternity. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to like sexuality, all of a sudden, when it comes to these things, they immediately... Beer or bourbon. Yeah, do you think you'll drink right. a beer with God, whatever? It's almost like you see that people are projecting what they think is taboo here. Yeah. into the afterlife and so then it goes all right well then maybe you want to have sex with god do you think you'll have sex with others and there it's amazing how many people think no in the life to come something greater than love is going to show up and we won't need to have sex because our hearts will be so pure and it ends up just keep showing like you see sex as something that is dirty and right. your sexual desire you've come and to- god will finally be rid of it yeah. In heaven. And sex is only for here for procreation, but it is not for pleasure. It's not for enjoyment. The human body is dirty or shameful. Your sexual desirous thoughts are bad. So it's almost like there's all these things we think will carry forward, and then there's all these things we think will be deleted that right. are very much so. The quote unquote problems that ail us yeah. will suddenly no longer be around. Yeah. Bourbon won't exist. Yep. Sex, it won't be a thought. You know. Uh, dancing i don't know like, anger the the yeah. ability to have your somebody step on your foot and get mad about it people will magically never step on your feet so on and so forth. yeah it's like will you be void of all emotion or will then you'll only have good emotion at that point which so, then if everything is good emotion then how do you define good yeah how would it not just be this monotonous it's just emotion of nothingness point. right yeah so we want to and I almost feel like there's a time where I, you realize it takes one or two questions before we realize we haven't just haven't thought about it. Right. And so I bring that up as an example because that was even back when I was in my young 20s and I was incredibly still evangelical or whatever. So it's like there's always been a time where certain ideas or concepts have not bothered me. Or I didn't feel inwardly guilty, but I, it was more like socially. I felt like, uh, I, I won't tell the crowd what I'm really thinking right. because they all socially agree. Groupthink kicks in. 
And so then it's like, well, I've always kind of looked at society or the church world that I grew up in or whatever and felt like, well, I think this is true and right and okay, but yet they don't. But I don't think I'm wrong, but I'll just keep it to myself. So it's almost been more as I've gotten older and maybe it will, maybe when I'm 40 or when I'm 50, I literally won't give a fuck. And I'll just like, (laughs) I don't care what people think and I'll be way more raw. I don't know. Maybe that's in your twenties. You keep things to yourself more because you desire to be, to fit in a little bit more. So as I've gotten older and I have kids and I have a wife and a family that I love, the, what everyone else really thinks of me has become much, much less on the totem pole. I think desire to fit in largely fits in with the desire to have influence mm-hmm. and be meaningful. Mm-hmm. And the more meaning yeah. you find in just being alive, yeah. the less you care about changing other people or being being the guy who changed their life. Like I've I haven't struggled with, but it has been a very real thing for me with doing NAC, right? Mm-hmm. I started it two years ago now. Yeah. And I spent years as a teacher and as a you know, as someone who sought to be a, a source of influence in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And now it's at the point I have more people telling me like, dude, you need to be saying this and you need to be saying that and you should write this book and do this audio. And years ago, I would have found so much meaning yeah. and validation yeah. Yeah. in people saying, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing teaching. You need to say it. Yeah. And now I'm like, eh, we'll see. Like I enjoy doing the podcast. If it became a major source of income, there would certainly be a, a, yeah. a greater motivation to do it. But the need to be important, mm-hmm. the need to be the guy mm-hmm. has so, so found its way into, I won't even say it, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's at best. It's like, Oh, that would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But even then with all that comes all the levels of importance and the levels mm-hmm. of obligation. So I'm not even sure that would be cool. Like, I'm not right. sure it's, it would be cool to be Tony Robbins. Yeah. Like for years I've wanted to be, yeah. And now yeah. I'm like, that dude is working his ass off. Mm-hmm. Do I really want to be Tony Robbins or would I rather be Batman yeah. and and like have the financial capacity to do what I want and then right. nobody knows what I'm doing? It's actually yeah. a really interesting. We brought that up when we went to, we're, we're recording on a new mic, so we hope this is all working out. But yes, we you. went to Best Buy and got a mic today. But we um, when we were in the car, we were talking about, Uh, what I heard Peter Rollins talk about with mimetic desire. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting because it also goes with mimetic desire is basically when you're six months old, a year old, two years old, you look up and what your mother smiles at, you create a recognition of when I do X, she smiles. When I giggle, when I laugh, when I don't do this, she frowns. When I cry, this is what happens when I get scolded. This is what I do when things go great. And so you create a desire that isn't your own you create a desire that is called mimetic, meaning you're meaning, you're acting out Hmm. your parents' desire. So that's our first stage of like learning feelings and learning worldview is what mom likes, I come to like. What mom disproves of, I come to disprove of. Even if in my bones or even if in my own gut, I don't understand it or I don't agree with it. I take upon the desire of another. And then at some point as I continue to grow, if I'm not careful, I become convinced that these desires are my own when in fact they are somebody else's. So that grows. And then there's a correlation to, I love this idea. So give me a minute. And I hope I'm saying it right. Where what happens is your parents give you a name. They give you an identity. They give you a world. They give you a setting and you take upon the reality of another 
and you grow up. And so it's almost like putting on a costume or putting on a shell of some kind. Mm -hmm. You wrap it around yourself and it, it's beautiful. Nobody can escape it. This isn't like, oh, you're weak because you do this. We all do it. I grow up and my name is Ronnie. It wasn't my choice. Right. It got given to me. Ronnie, you are this. You're going to probably do this. You're going to go to school here. You're going to dress like this. If I And most of us don't have parents that entirely know how to go, hey, I, want, I really want to try to clothe you and stuff, but the moment you are consciously able to clothe yourself, I'm going to let you do it and encourage you to be yourself. A lot of us are in systems and worlds where the words we say, the way we dress, the way we think, the way we believe, how we pray, it's very heavily pressed into us rather than the parent watching us grow and allowing us to flourish into whatever we are and they're the supportive loving agent to support our autonomy we are a molded clay object for them to stamp their reality and values and beliefs in and so many of them i mean so many humans have spent most of their life trying to get positions of power and control right and one of the major positions that gives you that is being a parent yeah right or a, yeah. a boss at work or whatever so having people in positions of power and control uh -huh. who desire at the soon as possible opportunity to stop having to be that person. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like my job is to raise you to the point where you don't need me anymore. Yeah. There's, exactly. there's a lot of professions that purport to do that. The medical profession, the psychological yeah. profession, hell, the, the, yeah. the political profession. If you, yeah. the judicial profession, imagine a world where we didn't have people breaking laws. You wouldn't need judges and all this. Right. So many professions right. that like our job is to help improve things right. that, don't mm -hmm. actually benefit from things improving. Yeah. They benefit from things remaining static. Yeah. And so the when you have parents or you have people that have spent their whole lives waiting yeah. to get that position. Right. Finding someone who's woke enough to yeah. then like Yeah. Yeah, I want to be out of this job as soon as I can. <laughs> right. Well, and a lot of kids develop that at a young age. They they dream of the day they get their car, they dream of the day they can move out depending on the relationship between the kids and the parents. So that's kind of stage one, is you get a framework in a world and you get mimetic desire by your parents and then your siblings. Oh, look at you, Ronnie, you're fast. Or you get told who you are by your immediate world. Right. So that's stage one. That's where I get my first name. You are Ronnie J. Harima. Second stage is I start to go into the outside world and I go to school. And then I get a teacher who's like, oh, Ronnie, good job. You made a cursive S really well. And now I have this other adult figure pouring good or bad into me. The whole point is it's information coming into me. And I, I'm continually figuring out who am I in conjunction with this world I'm in. My friends tell me whether I dress well or I'm, whether I'm cool, whether I'm a nerd, whether I'm a jock. I'm now figuring out who I am. And my world gives me a name. So I get a name from my parents. That's name one. I get a name from the world around me that's name number two. These are our identities. Right. Well, then most of us... I am a jock. Yeah. I, I am a nerd. And you see it. A yeah. lot of parents call it rebellion, which I don't think is the correct way to see it. It's the stages of even consciousness continuing to develop and your personality developing. A lot of kids rebel because they are fighting against name number one. I'm hmm. ready. I've been in my world. I've been learning who I am through my friends and et cetera. And suddenly parents see... You're wanting to go to friend so-and-so's house more than you want to be here. That's an example of a kid finding something in themselves they like, and they're ready to keep going out into the world. A good parent 
yes, you guide and love and protect your kid, but you encourage your child to keep searching and being and figuring out. As long as they're not asking questions about the things that. Yeah, as long as you never touch your penis, right? Right. Or doubt (laughs) or doubt your parents' thoughts on something. Yeah, you go explore as long as you don't challenge or change. You know, even if you call it the first six years, the first six years of your life is name number one. Name number two is from year six to twelve. Okay. From year 12, which is why they have the bar mitzvah and why the age of accountability in a lot of religions is like the age of 12, 13, you become an adult in your consciousness because now you've received two names. You're ready to now go find your name from God. So from the age of 12 to 18 is your sexual and that's also connected to puberty. You're now going through puberty. Your sexual organs are developing. Your emotions develop in which... 12 to 18 is where, for most people, your emotions go pretty wild. Right. Become, and it's true in children, but our emotions are not only wild, but they really develop throughout those teen years. And this is not purely mathematical, but it's an example to think about. From the age of 12 to 18, you are to go out into the world, and you are to discover who you are and what name God has for you. So this mm-hmm. is even why Jesus teaches in the temple at the age of 12, and then he disappears. It's an example of... There's a period where he's gone. The Messiah, the chosen one, who if we put if we see him as an archetype of our true self and the journey we go on, there's this period where you leave the parent thing behind. You leave the temple behind, all your training to become a rabbi and all that. You leave it behind because you go to figure out like, okay, what's my third name? Who am I in the eyes of creation, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes right. of God? But um, I can't remember if Alan Watts went over this or if it was Peter Rollins or somebody, but there's a fourth layer of naming. And this is so cool. Um, It's kind of coincidental of Abraham, David, Joseph, Jacob, Apostle Paul. He says, I went to the desert and I spent three years in the desert and I learned things no one taught me, but only those given to me by the Spirit. Right. So what that kind of shows, uh, Moses goes into the desert. It's It's this hero archetype. There comes a point where the two names given to me by my parents and by my friends and family in my school, it's not enough. I need more. I need to find my next truth. I go find out who I am according to God, and I come back, and that's why you see, hey, I no longer call you Peter, or I call you Safest, or whatever. There's always this beautiful idea where your your identity changes, and now you're given a new name. Right. It's even in Revelation, you know, those who overcome, I'll give them a new name with written on a stone. Uh, that no one knows, which I love this part, no one knows but the one who receives it. Right. So this is the stage four. Part of that is an example of that. This isn't me being literally true. It's using these as metaphors. The fourth stage is there is a name that nobody knows but you, not even God. So there's a place where you finally look into like to the reflection of reality, you know, where Paul says we see dimly, but one day we will see him as he is, for we will be like him. This whole idea that as we attain to the Godhead, what I love is, yeah, your parents can tell you who they think you are. Your friends and everything can tell you who they think you are. God can tell you who he thinks you are. But there comes a point where you then have to look in the mirror and you have to decide who you are. And that is a decision. You can't go to God and go, hey, God, show me my will. Hey, God, show me my giftings. Hey, uh, my, you know, my parents always encouraged me as this as a kid. And they always told me, oh, look at you. You're so smart. You're going to be a leader one day. All of the ways I've looked for identity and meaning and pursuit outside of myself, all of those things will only bring me so far. 
So there's these truths that even you go to God and go, all right, Lord, I'm ready for my true ultimate name. And you hear like the voice of God or of reality say back to you, that is something only you can decide. And that is, I teach that as the, that is the mystery of I am. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. even you cannot, that is a name. Yeah. The I am, which is obviously an energetic, you know, I am Ronnie. Sure. I am Austin. Right. But I am, there's something philosophically, energetically, the real there. Yeah. That the moment you start saying that, that as your name. Yeah. You can't talk about anybody else but yourself. Yep. Not even God yep. can talk about I am yep. about you. Yeah. And so it is the name that no man knows except the one who receives it. Mm-hmm. Is that nobody else can utter I am yeah. and to be talking about somebody else. You mm-hmm. can only be talking about yourself. Yeah. And when that becomes your new thing. Yeah. And it's it is to me a very um there's an arcanum kind of mm-hmm. mystery mm-hmm. in that I am that is the very essence of self-identity and co-creating or whatever you stepping mm-hmm. into your your place yeah in the world yeah like if you look at it like you're a fraction even like let's say you saw God as 10 trillion faces and you're one of those faces so basically you're an extension of God or God breathed on the dust the Hindus say that when Shakti creates, she becomes her creations, mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool idea. So what I don't like about some of the disconnections that have happened over the last 2,000 years in Christianity, it was God breathed onto the dust and then stepped back and looked at you, but you kind of were on your own, and there was a chance that you're going to screw it all up, you're going to get cut off, and now you and God are going to become disconnected. So there's this concept of where then the whole Christian narrative is trying to show you how to get reconnected because you lost something. Right. Where I like when the Hindu story says, well, Shakti does the same thing. Let's say she takes the dust and she breathes into it. When she exhales into the dust, she leaves a part of herself and becomes the thing she breathed into. So now there's not just one Shakti, there's two Shaktis. Right. But that part is different. And so it's nice because it kind of shows this picture Almost of... Almost like Shakti's in us and that we're yeah, in. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's cool because it kind of shows then... Uh, when Jesus prays in the garden and says, I pray that they would be in us, we would be in them. I right. pray that they would be in us as we are in them, that as I am in you, that all that. It's this we prayer. We make our abode with you. And yeah. Yeah. This picture of regardless of what you go through, regardless of where you've been, regardless of whether you call, you picture yourself having this sin nature that makes you hostile to God, of seeing that the very fact that you're a conscious entity that has been given form, that has an experience in the here and now, mm-hmm. is the very fact, is evidence of God extending itself as you, because never in the history of whatever, millions, billions, trillions, whatever, of years, there's never been the experience of you, which is unique, and God is experiencing reality through you as himself, as mm-hmm. itself. And so it's a, just a different way of seeing Uh, The Course in Miracles would talk about this is the true of all of us. The sonship of God is complete and there's nothing outside of God. So whatever is real is God Mm -hmm. and and God cannot create something that is not him. So therefore, everything in creation, good, bad, ugly, messy, crazy, everything, there's no separation. 
So this expanse of the, of, of the reality, it all is a part of God in some way, whether we can see it or understand it. And some of us are starting to wake up to that reality where we finally realize I never was separated from God. And if I thought so, it was just an illusion. This idea that I was ripped off and possibly needing to be saved to get back into good graces with him goes against the very nature and reality that God could create a part of himself that he eventually would cut off his own arm. Right. And Paul talks about that and says, Well, in the moment he does that, he ceases to be God. Ceases to be God. Because the definition of God is that he's omnipotent, omniscient, everything. So now suddenly there's beings in this universe that aren't part of God. Right. So then God isn't God. He's just another being over there. Right. So if you're all things and you're everywhere and you're, then you have to, he has to be you too. So of course in Miracles opens, which I haven't read that book in years, but I remember it it opens in the very first page. I remember when you first started reading it, you text me, you were like, dude, this is crazy. (laughs) What I like that it says, it says only what is real exists. Yes. What is unreal doesn't exist and it's only illusion. And what is unreal does not threat what is real. Hmm. Only God is real. So therefore, there is no separation between what is real and what is unreal. What is unreal is only an illusion. It does not exist. So the concept of separation, destruction, the un-I-am-ness, it's just an idea and it's not real. It's not true. Um, and Paul would agree with this is we were enemies in our minds actually read it because uh, oh that's right you got this new mic it's a lapel mic you can take it with you I know I can move you're trapped here I'm trapped although I've got that other lapel mic and we're by the way we have a little bourbon tasting going on oh I know Uh, actually technically it's rye whiskey I'm drinking brown sugar oh that's the other one we don't even have it in the room what is yours right now I just finished a little bit of fistful of bourbon (laughs) fistful I love it's, that it's, name. It's like, <laughs> I love that name. It's uh, really good if you've ever had Makers 46. It's like half-price Makers 46. That's incredible. So, Ron Hale, if you are listening, half-price <laughs> Makers 46, a.k.a. Fistful of Bourbon. Oh, it's so good. So, All right, so this is the actual introduction. So it says, this is a course in miracles. It is a required course, but only the time that you take it is voluntary. Okay, I love it. Um, The opposite of love is fear, but what is all-encompassing has no opposite. The opposite of love is fear, but what's all-encompassing has no opposite, right? So then it ends by saying this. This course, which this book is like 1,200 pages, this course can therefore be summed up in one simple way. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Here lies the peace of God. Love I'm it. like, dude, you take one, that's one sentence of helping you solve, for me, what a lot we talked about in those last three episodes, solving the trauma that gets introduced to a child at the age of five, six, seven, eight of eternal damnation of measuring up to God of failing God of not being good enough of wondering where do you stand with this almighty creator is nature for me or against me Mm -hmm. is God out there and I'm down here dispelling all of these bad ideas that don't exist they're not real 
and they're kind of like bad dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like growing up and some of the journey and a lot of the things we talked about in those last episodes are all the, the, the many, many years of like finally thinking well enough to no longer be slave to bad ideas to finally come to a place where, you know, I, I would even say that thing about when you finally find your name, if you compare it to the show Westworld and how the guy was trying to create AI. And if you guys watch season one, it's such a good show kind of on the subject, even where the creator of Westworld wanted to discover AI and he created what he called a consciousness pyramid. And layer one was memory. So he, for 30 years, he experimented with these robots and he had a um, narrator come in, who comes in and writes their story. Mm-hmm. And they are programmed to only experience that narrative. But he wanted to just watch them and watch them and watch them. And they repeated this narrative day after day for 30 years. But the moment a character seemed like it was starting to glitch, and all of a sudden it's having that shaking that person's hand in the street, and it's done this now thousands of times wanting to see if the robot would ever somehow supersede its narrative and realize it's been here and doing this thousands of times, which some people could compare to like reincarnation or the moment you wake up. Right. But he wanted to see if the robots could remember their narratives ever. So that's layer one is memory. Layer two of consciousness is acting out a line. So a fly lands on a robot's cheek and the robot starts shaking its head, but the robot wasn't programmed to do that. So right. the robot it shows it's interacting with its environment, even if it's not conscious of what it's really doing, it's acting out of script. And the reason I think that's so cool is because when you take that idea and compare it to the biblical narrative, and you picture that Yahweh or the creator or life or whatever word you want to use for life, the intelligence behind life, mm-hmm. uh, or even let's just say it's a super, I don't care, let's say it's an alien race that came <laughs> down like right. in the story of Man of Steel and plants the seed of humanity here because it either wants to like use us as slaves or it wants to see what will become who knows why. But let's just say God or something creates us with something in mind and we wants to see if we'll ever develop memory. And then it wants to see if we'll ever act out of character. So then the only way you would do that is God would go, hey, I'm going to put this one thing here and I'm going to go, don't eat of it, right? Mm -hmm. So taking this process metaphorically, but you have to put it in there to see if they'll ever act out of character because the moment they do, it brings such a switch to the idea of the fall. It actually isn't the fall. It's the moment the character decides to like, not follow its narrative. And that's, so I, I don't teach that. <laughs> I'm getting annoyed with that phrase. Yeah. I've been a teacher for so long and a, and you know, people, I, I noticed as I was editing some of those other episodes, like I mentioned people who follow my teachings and stuff like that. My I, don't, teaching, my I don't really have that thing anymore. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those verbal ticks that I, one of the things that I have talked about with lots of people for years is yeah. <laughs> the idea that the fall is is a misnomer for that moment. Yeah. yeah. And I express that you have it's like looking at a, a baby mm-hmm. and realizing that humanity was a baby. Right. And we were innocent. Yeah. But we were also ignorant. Yeah. And that all of humanity goes, Oh my gosh, that's the day we lost our innocence. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. 
Mm-hmm. It's also the day we lost our ignorance. And it's also the day we moved from one layer of naming to another layer of naming. And yeah. the ultimate goal mm-hmm. is we all want to go to heaven yeah. and be innocent again. Right. Great. That's awesome. Being a good, innocent, righteous, light being would be great. Here's the deal. When a baby grows up and becomes mature, and if you look at the scriptures and you look at the concept of becoming fully manifested sons right. of God and all that, what you have is the very clear idea of when I was a child yeah, and now I'm not. And so yeah. humanity was a child. It was innocent yeah. and it was beautiful, right. but it was ignorant and totally incapable of being God in the flesh. Right. The God in the flesh actually has to have the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis yeah. 3.22. Yeah. God in the flesh actually has to know what the difference between right and wrong is and how to create and all those things. And so it's not the fall. It's literally the first, it's the beginning. It's the yeah. beginning of our growing up. Yeah. That, and yeah, our name changed. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Jesus, you must be born again. Yeah. You must be born of water, born of spirit. Yeah. And then in First John, you get born of God. It literally is four yeah. different name changes. Well, and the four compare really cool to the earth, fire, air, and water. Mm-hmm. So earth being the most solid, the most groundworking. Earth is our, we're born physically. We have this frame. We have dimensions to us. It's very concrete and literal. And that's even comparable to our understanding of theology and scripture and consciousness. We engage everything with um, a level earth to start out with. And it's all very rudimentary, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning. And it's very literal. And then it moves to water and water is fluid and water can be solid. It can be liquid. It can be vapor. Water can come and go and water can destroy the earth foundations and it should. Right. And then air rises above that. So when water evaporates and it turns into mist and then it becomes air. So water and air have this correlation. So that's why you then have the baptism of spirit, which is air. You have the baptism of water. Which was 2,000 years earlier. You have the building of the temple, which is earth. Mm -hmm. So we all are the temple of God. And then we receive the baptism of water, John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. You have the baptism, which the water is emotions. So think about it this way. We go through... We have physicality, but then we go through the baptism of emotions, which is part of coming to understand what our emotions are here for and how they serve us, the way they trip us up, but also the way they inform us of things. But then we have the baptism of air or spirit, which is intellect. So then our mind needs to be removed. You'll become renewed. Removed. Removed. You'll become... We'll edit that out. People need to know how smart you really are. They cannot hear me make a bad word like that. Um, No, definitely not. So your mind then becomes <laughs> renewed. Uh, you become transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? I can't hear it. I, all I hear is <laughs> renewed. <laughs> It'll be the new word ever. Renewed. Have you been renewed? <laughs> so then John, though, what I like is then John says, you know, I baptize you with water, right? Yep. And spirit. But the one coming after me will baptize you with fire. fire. Right. So fire is the earth, fire, air, and water. Those are the four elements of our world. Mm-hmm. Those are the four seasons. Those are the four stages of our consciousness as we keep growing. And water destroys earth. Air w- rises above water. Fire, you know, kind of it, burns it, down well, and it, refines it ignites air because the fire is built on oxygen. Yep. And Jesus says, I sit as the refiner's fire over the house of israel forever so now you have this concept of 
becoming like Christ and becoming baptized in fire. And it's re- literally seen as the four stages even of your own identity. Have you, man, this is total sidetrack, but have you then, <laughs> then looked at the changing from mortal to immortal, mortal to immortal, and the idea of the fifth element being ether? And that in the blinking mm-hmm. eye, going so boom, full circle. Yeah. So starting with birth. Yeah. Then, you know, earth. Yeah. Water, air, fire. Yeah. Ether. Yeah. And, then, and so some would, uh, another way of seeing that is that when you take a rock and flint and you strike them, mm-hmm. this fire, a spark is created. So the flint and the, you know, the stone or the metal all of themselves carry no fire. Right. But because of the way they're interacting immediately, they can create the fire. So they can create the thing that is there, it's invisible, but yet they themselves don't contain it individually. Right. So then you go the earth, one way of seeing it is earth, water, air, and fire, when combined, equal create the fifth. So the fifth ether is the summation of all the baptisms or the levels of consciousness. Right. The unity of them all is the invisible, you know, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. It's kind of like the, the thing, it's almost mm-hmm. the Christ consciousness is the quintessence thing that springs out of nothing when the four come into whatever right so the thing about westworld really quickly that i like is the final stage of the pyramid first stage is memory second stage is acting out of character the third stage is rebellion so then it shows this robot who gets she gets raped by this guy every day it's part of her narrative and he comes in rapes her rapes her rapes her she starts to remember it somehow Right. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is she starts to act out of character and she starts to ask questions and she'll ask a question to another robot. And the robot has never had another robot ask it something that's not in its pre-programmed dialogue. And it starts to like short circuit and freak out. And so she starts seeing all these anomalies and these weird things in her world. So it's almost like she goes on this hunt to discover and anyone who's seen Westworld knows what I'm talking about. So Dolores is the girl. The season, I hope I don't ruin it, but this is years old. So if I'm ruining it, just shame on you for trust not me. This is good. It's it. still an amazing <laughs> series. I'm not ruining that. You need to go watch it. But the season one ends with the architect, the one who created this whole robot theme park, who's been doing it for 30 some years. He goes on stage to announce to people the next part of the story because this narrative has been running for 30 some years. And he goes on stage to basically a group full of investors and people who have been utilizing the park because he he allows people to go interact with the robots for a fee, basically. Right, it's a theme park. It's a theme park. And they spend a lot of money and there's no rules. So you get people who let the wildest selves out, who go sleep with all the robots, kill robots, and they just, it's their one place to go be totally, there's no rules in life. They spend a lot of money and it's like multimillionaires and billionaires use this park. So he's going to them saying, I'm about to release a brand new narrative and it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. He stands on stage and as his talk is coming to a close, Dolores walks on stage, puts a gun to his head and shoots him. And you see the look on his face as he's like holding his hands in the air, like he's deeply content knowing Dolores has figured it all out. And the moment she shoots him, he knows that he just created AI. Because rebellion is the final step. Rebellion is the final step because she finally looks at the fact that I've been a prisoner in this thing my whole life. I've been fit into these rules and following these narratives. And she comes to that place of, have I ever had a choice in this? Am I just this created robot? And she consciousness then is the culmination of when something in you refuses that you're just a puppet on a string. 
Yeah. Something, no matter what the narrative is. So what's beautiful to that, I say, all right, so just let's just say that guy represents Yahweh. Right. He represents the God of creation. That God of creation creates humans. And let's say it's millions of years or thousands of years. He's wanting to extend him. I hate saying he, I'm so sorry. She, it, <laughs> is wanting to extend itself through creation to duplicate itself to experience life through another form of itself, the way the Hindus talk about that with Brahma. And God is working th with humanity for all this time, sort of like the guy in Westworld, to see if they would become like him. And finally, they pass the test when they decide to go, wait a minute, we've been told for how long to not eat of this? And the idea is like, when I eat of it, I'll become like you. All right, I'm eating of this thing. And finally, when they rebel, is the moment the creator is sitting there with a smile on his face going, I'm doing it. It's working. They're willing to make a decision and go against what I've said. So this whole story of the fall of humanity could almost be flipped in a way to realize, is this really the moment the creator is most dissatisfied with its creation? Or is the creator deeply glad that creation is becoming itself and going, the next part of the story is about to move forward. And right. you notice it in the curses. I, every time I've ever talked to somebody about the curses in Genesis, you never see God say something about God's interaction with people changing, right. God's favor toward people changing, the reality of the cosmos. They always say, oh, well, we fell. It used to be we could walk with God and talk with him perfectly and then the fall. You, there's nowhere in that story that you see the nature relationship between God and humans change. What you see is God go, hey, there's going to be enmity between you guys because of what you did. Right. There's going to be enmity between you and nature because of what you did. But you never see God going, hey, and you know what? We used to talk. We're not talking anymore. You see nothing change between ultimate reality and you. It's like the story is moving forward. Right. It's the kids took the first step. The kids took the first step. I, and, did, yeah. I did an episode with a gentleman by the name of Matthew Cortman. He, wrote, he recently wrote a book called Saying No to God. I was just going to go there. Go ahead. Have you yeah. have you read the book? I haven't. No. Have you? Uh, it's the basic reality of just all these examples in Scripture of right. people saying, "God, no. I'm not on board with this," yep. and God yep. going, "Okay, okay," and and consistently being mm -hmm. these moments of significant upgrade yes. in those people's lives and in the story and the understanding mm -hmm. of who God is, and we take like, "Oh, God is." always this and always yep. that you realize he we think that because half the time that he was threatening to not be that a, a human in the story said right. you should probably be this and he was like all right i agree with you i'll do mm -hmm. this yeah and so saying no to god and his it's a very good it's a, it's a really easy read and um his name is matthew Cortman. i think it was maybe 10 episodes ago at this point but um the idea is that it is the ultimate human expression of the I amness in ourselves. Yeah. Totally. To look back at the great I am and say, I'm not sure mm -hmm. I'm on that page. Yeah. I don't agree. I don't see it that way. And your dad goes, yeah. great. Yeah. Cool. Well, I had a while ago, I've started, so maybe I'll say quickly. I have a book I wrote called The Devil's Name, and I wasn't even planning on bringing that up, but because we've talked about the name changes... The, the idea of the power that's within a name and what we call ourselves and what we call other mm -hmm. things is very much in that book. It's a short little story about a guy battling his demons. 
I'm just finishing a book called The Wishing Well, and it's a fiction and it's a, a novel. But um, I had considered starting writing a book a while ago, a while ago called Holy Rebellion, uh, or something like that. And it was all these examples from the Garden of Eden to Moses, when Moses says, "Hey, if you don't go with us." I'm not going to go. And God goes, no, I'll send an angel to go with you. And Moses goes, no. And he says, he calls God out and says, will the God of heaven not do right? Mm -hmm. And then it says, God relented. God changed his mind. So then you go, okay, there's an example that either Moses was so God-like that God respected him, or he was just a dude like we are. He's just a person who is willing to or understood you and God are much more alike than you would ever think. And so for you to go, no, wait a minute. Nope, I'm not just gonna bend the knee and do what you ask. I'm gonna talk back to you. Actually made God go, okay, I'll change my mind. So it's almost like you wonder if it's a test. You wonder if God sometimes saying something emphatically is, hey, don't eat from that tree. You wonder if the command is there as a test of consciousness to see what is it you really think. Are you just gonna go, yes, Lord, okay, amen, I won't do what you said. And then if maybe in those moments, God throws up his hands like, all right, I have yeah. a sheep here. And I no offense, but here's somebody who's not really willing to engage in life and in reality. Yeah. So then you move forward and you have the story of Jacob. And it says all night long, Jacob battled the angel or whatever. And it says they wrestled till dawn. And then when the angel saw that he couldn't overcome him, he touches his hip and makes him go limp. Right. So then it's like, all right, so finally you're wrestling all night long, and the conclusion is, I can't beat you, so I'm going to touch your hip. You really think the angel hadn't touched his hip all night long if they're wrestling or whatever? Right. So now you can look at it and go, well, do you think, does it make more sense that they were physically wrestling all night long, or that it was a battle of wits? And then maybe Jacob and the angel were arguing all night long, or debating all night long. And finally, when the angel saw that he couldn't overcome him, right. then he beats him physically. And then he goes to walk away, and the guy goes, no, wait, you can't leave without blessing me. And then he says, tell me your name to the angel. And the angel says, you ask my name, but I ask you, you say that your name is Jacob, but I now call you Israel. So this whole night long thing goes on, and Jacob's nature and identity changes, and he gets a new name. Like you've wrestled, and he says, you were called Jacob, but now I call you Israel, for you have wrestled with God and man and have overcome Yes. So it's like, all right, so here you have a character that fights back, who disagrees, who does what you could call it a holy rebellion, and changes the opinion of the spiritual entity or whatever that was. And I think for us, I mean, that would be the encouragement, right? Totally. Fighting back, questioning. I mean, Thinking like, for yourself is not wrong. 